2: 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the
3: powerful backing of American Express.
2: See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash
3: with Amex. Terms apply. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2%
4: NFL Week Ten returns tonight. The Titans hosting the Indianapolis Colts. We will see who is going to take. And uh, it's not. I guess it's not fair to call it early midway point lead through the uh, NFL season, which particularly given the fact that some games may end up being canceled before all is said and done. Who knows? Taking an early lead in the uh, in the division race could be pretty massive. So Titans are a small favorite tonight. Some of you may remember that I have sworn off ever going to another Titans-Colts game in Nashville because the Colts have won 14 of the last 17 in this series and have found ways to constantly break the soul of Titans fans. But I'm going tonight. I've got tickets. My kids want to go and my wife can't take them. So I don't know what to do otherwise. So I will be in attendance tonight, be the uh, fourth NFL game I've attended in person as well as a college football game. And uh, so I'm curious to see what's going to happen tonight there. We'll be talking about that game throughout the course of the show. Big one tonight, again, Titans hosting the Colts. Pretty decent Thursday night football game uh, as we get NFL Week 10 underway. Now, also, we continue to have absurdity reigning in college football, and I'm gonna just tee off here. I, I can't handle it anymore. We have created a situation where there are almost no positive tests, but we are canceling games over contact tracing across all of college football. Let me give you a couple of examples in the SEC, which has actually done really well to play as many games as they have so far. According to Jimbo Fisher, the head coach of Texas A&M, A&M has two positive tests and they are not playing now their game against the University of Tennessee because of contact tracing. All right. And I'm going to explain contact tracing to you here in just a minute. Missouri has one positive test and they are not playing their game against Georgia because of contact tracing. We also are not having the Ohio State Maryland game, which could be significant, and I'll explain why here in a moment. We probably are not going to have Cal able to play against Arizona State for a second straight week because of the absurd health guidelines of Berkeley, California, meaning that all these kids at Cal who worked so hard to be able to play a season effectively are down to now, if they're not able to play this weekend down to five games. And I want to talk about this insane situation that is predicated on contact tracing. So let's start here. First of all, as I have been telling you for months, college kids are under more danger from the seasonal flu than they are from COVID. Okay? That is an incontrovertible truth. And we would never ever in a million years cancel a college football game or any sporting event because of the flu. We certainly would not force people who had been in close proximity to someone who had the flu to not be able to play football, okay? This contact tracing business is utterly nonsensical. And I'm going to explain in detail here, some of of the issues that are going on. First of all, a player tests positive, okay? Almost all of these players are asymptomatic. They would otherwise have no idea that they have this virus, but for the fact that they are being tested daily. When that player tests positive, he has to be out most of college football for 10 days, okay? Usually takes... Uh, At a minimum, 10 days for him to get cleared, for him to test negative on all of the different protocols. Anyone who has been in close contact with him, however, is out for 14 days of quarantine, even though that person likely will never test positive. So if you had to make a choice right now in college football, it is better to be the guy who tests positive than it is to be a guy who's close to, in some way, a guy who tests positive. And what we are seeing is entire position groups are being eliminated because of one positive test because of the contact tracing that requires everybody else to sit out. This makes zero sense. It makes zero sense. If somebody tests positive, you can hold them out of the game But what's going on right now is guys who are never going to test positive are out for two weeks, and some of these guys who never test positive are being quarantined multiple times over being in close proximity to someone who tests positive for COVID. It makes no sense at all, and it's utterly illogical. This is how you end up with Trevor Lawrence able to travel to South Bend with Clemson, stand on the sideline, eat all his meals with his teammates, interact with them, and not play in games, it doesn't make any sense at all to have these protocols put in place. And so as you look forward, what is happening is as the season gets closer to the end, the number of weeks that games can be made up declines, and so you find yourself painted into a corner, it's utterly illogical. Whether it's in the Pac-12, where Cal is probably not going to be able to play for a second straight week, whether it's Ohio State, and let's consider this for a minute, unfortunately, Buckeye fans, through no fault of your own Ohio State, you are losing one of the eight games scheduled on your schedule already with Maryland being unable to play. Okay? What if... Next week, Indiana says they are unable to play against you. You also lose that game, and then Indiana wins the rest of the games on their schedule. Indiana would win the Big Ten East. Think about that for a minute. Indiana is 3-0. and They are playing uh, this weekend, Indiana is. If they beat Michigan State, they would get to 4-0. So they would have the lead on Ohio State who is not able to play this weekend. If Indiana then were unable to play against Ohio State next weekend and came back and won the rest of their games, then Indiana would win the Big Ten East and Ohio State would be unable to play in the Big Ten title game. Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it's pretty crazy to think about. Again, if Indiana beats Michigan State this weekend, If they then say they have COVID issues and they're unable to play the Ohio State game and then Indiana recovered and beat Maryland, Wisconsin, and Purdue, then undefeated Indiana could play in the Big Ten Conference Championship game. And Ohio State would be left on the sideline at 6-0 in that scenario, assuming Ohio State won the rest of their games. 7-0 Indiana would go to the Big Ten title game. Now, I hope that doesn't happen, but it's an example of the absurdity that you can find yourself in. If I'm an Ohio State fan right now, I'm nervous that our team is going to get enough games to demonstrate that we deserve a chance to play in the college football playoff. Because you can't control if Maryland suddenly is unable to play. And given the protocols in place, I think there's probably a decent chance that Ohio State loses at least one more game in terms of being able to play, and that presumes that Ohio State doesn't have COVID positives that render it unable to play. These are just nonsensical protocols that we have put into place. They don't make any logical sense at all, and it's happening across all of college football Because people have bought into this lunacy that a positive test means games have to be canceled. And by the way, we're dealing with a lot of college kids who are going to become less disciplined as the season progresses because their teams are likely out of the mix of being able to contend for championships. And so I'm fired up about this because it is nonsensical. Now, the positive is, the positive is, in general, I think most of these conferences are going to figure out ways to crown champions. And certainly, if you're an ACC, an SEC, or a Big 12 fan, you're in pretty good shape. But this could turn really quickly in the Pac-12. We've already had a bunch of games canceled. And it could turn really quickly in the Big 10, where we've already had a bunch of games canceled as well. That's because of the protocols and policies in place, which make absolutely no sense whatsoever. So I want you to think about that a little bit. Now, the Corona Bros out there are arguing still against sports basically being played, but to the credit of everyone in the sports industry, they're trying to find out a way to play. And we managed to finish Major League Baseball, the NBA, NASCAR, and the NHL. Not to mention, I believe the MLS, although I don't follow it closely enough, and the WNBA. So every sport, by and large, is figuring out a way to play. And now we're coming back, and the Oklahoma City Thunder are already talking about having fans in the stands. We're going to be playing college basketball in a couple of weeks. But remember, those college basketball standards are going to be the same for contact tracing as college football which means we're going to have a massive number of college basketball games that are canceled and are canceled for really no reason whatsoever. Again, a positive test is almost all asymptomatic in college sports. We have, thankfully, knock on wood, had almost no issues with any kind of significant health issues for anyone in college anywhere. For the hundreds of thousands of college kids that have tested positive, Almost none of them have needed to be hospitalized, almost no major issues health-wise at all. Again, the seasonal flu is more dangerous to your average young person, which is why all schools should be open. But we have to make decent and rational decisions, and right now we aren't making them at all as it pertains to contact tracing. Again, you're better off testing positive yourself than being in close proximity to someone who tests positive, in terms of being able to come back and play, what sense does that make at all? This is all thoroughly illogical. Positives. Masters are about to uh, start here. Dub, what time is the first tee-off in the Masters?
5: I believe it is at 6.33 Central Time. So so in
4: about an hour, we will have the first tee-off in the Masters. Uh, And it will be officially underway, which is uh, going to be exciting to see how exactly the fall Masters goes. We've got Thursday night football going on tonight again. The Colts Titans will be talking about that throughout the course of the game, uh, the course of the show. Also, this is kind of a game as well. And uh, much more to get into. Frank Isola is going to join us. We're scheduled to be joined by Jeff Schwartz as well as Dr. David Chow, pro football doc. Uh, but all of that's still to come, are you guys paying as much attention to this absurdity of contact tracing, Danny G, as I am?
6: Well, it's all kind of normal to us here in California because, as you know, Clay, we have the guidelines set for Thanksgiving. Did I they ta-
4: revise and expand the guidelines <laughs> for Thanksgiving Oh, uh,
6: I have them in front of me. I talked to my mom on the phone the other day, and she said uh, that she's ready for Thanksgiving, although we are not allowed to sing or chant. That is strongly discouraged. In my family, we sing and chant during the entire Thanksgiving feast, so I don't know how we're going to get by. But also, the host must gather all names and addresses of attendees. I don't know who's going to have that job at at our gathering.
4: Well, who Uh, are they going to return? Are they going to turn those over to the government? (laughs)
6: This is their version of contact tracing. Gatherings must be outdoors.
4: Thanksgiving has to be outdoors in California?
6: yes attendees may go inside to use the bathroom but only if frequently sanitized all seating must be six feet apart gatherings must be two hours or less what about my sister she'll take two hours to get there after it's already started uh food must be in single serve disposable dishes must wear masks at all times and then last one as i mentioned you have to wear your
4: mask at all times while eating thanksgiving dinner
6: that's what it says according to the california department of health And the last one, which I mentioned, singing and chanting, strongly discouraged. I, I
4: don't understand how rational human beings are allowing this to happen. I mean, I saw the other day where Andrew Cuomo, the idiot governor of New York, said that the state of New York is prohibiting any household from having 10 or more people in it, or more than 10, whatever the heck it was. And I'm like, who are all these sheep that are allowing government to tell them what they can do inside of their house i mean this is this is absolute insanity that rational people are allowing this to occur it it really is i mean sports is a perfect metaphor and we've won a lot of battles i mean i got to give a lot of people in sports credit a lot of you out there listening right now fans a lot of coaches a lot of players a lot of parents have been willing to push back and say, no, this is insane. And I feel fortunate that my kids have been able to play football, soccer, baseball all throughout, you know, basically since May or June where I live. And we've had a relatively normal time. But I would be losing my mind if I were in a state like California and New York and I was being talked to like this, like I lived in a totalitarian government. It's unbelievable. But some of the policies that the Corona Bros have managed to put in place are utterly nonsensical when it comes to games that can be played. I mean, Dub, you just heard me walk through. You know, we got the Pac-12, Big Ten, SEC just using as examples. I mean, there are two positive tests at Texas A&M. There's one positive test at Missouri. And as a result, those guys aren't able to play football games? I mean, does that make any sense at all? We got one test positive, I believe, in Cal. And Berkeley won't allow the University of California to play. I mean, it's, it's utter and unmitigated insanity. Yeah, it doesn't
5: make any sense at all. And it, it it's getting hard to keep track of all these games because you'd think with all these cancellations, there'd be, you know, vast outbreaks at each of these places. But like you just said, a lot of the places, there's one or two, you know, asymptomatic positives and then the whole program shuts down for two weeks i don't it just doesn't make any sense at all
4: no it's it's utterly insane what about you eddie garcia you've been doing updates now for all these different details for a while i mean when you hear that games are being canceled because of one positive covid test that's asymptomatic is there i mean is there anybody out there who thinks that makes sense uh, no, that's that's very silly. And look, I, I will admit that
6: usually during the, f- the first few minutes of uh, the hour, I'm doing some other things here. Did I hear you say that players are, are out longer if they're contact yes. tracing than if they actually test? I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And I'm
4: going to repeat that because that's a good point. Again, listen carefully to me. In much of college football, Every conference has a little bit different policy. I think it's actually worse in the Big Ten, for instance, in the Pac-12 than it is in the rest of college football. But I'm using the SEC in general because I think the SEC has done a better job of handling COVID than your average college football conference. And I think the ACC and the Big 12 have too. But in those conferences, if you test positive for COVID, you can be back within 10 days because they'll test you again uh, eventually, it'll be out of your out of your system, and you don't have to be tested for ninety days once you have tested positive. Like they they've said, okay, you're you're fine for ninety days. So you're actually in some ways benefited. That's what I was saying earlier about herd immunity and the fact that if you test positive before the season started, it actually could be a benefit to you because you don't have to worry about testing positive the rest of the way. Okay, But so if you test positive, you can be back within ten days. But if you are contact traced, you have to sit out for two weeks. So let, let's just use like offensive linemen as an example because there have been position groups where this has emerged. If the center, I'm just saying, the center tests positive, the everybody else who's on the offensive line that is in close proximity to the center for meetings and everything else has to be out for two weeks even if they never test positive the center then is able to come back potentially and play in the game, even though he tested positive, the people who are in close contact with him, they still have to wait, all right? Now, it can happen again, right? So if another offensive lineman tests positive, then the same position group can have to go into quarantine for another 14 days, all without testing positive again and the person who tested positive gets to come back and be able to play before the people who are waiting to see whether or not they're ever going to be able to test positive. And that's what's happening with this one positive test at Missouri or these two positive tests at Texas A&M. It's a position group that is being contacted, traced, contact traced. And so they don't have anybody who can play. They don't have sufficient numbers to be able to play on, let's say, the offensive or defensive lines. And it's utter insanity. What, I mean, what it, is their rationale for that? Thinking? The rationale is that it could take up to 14 days for someone to show that, that that has been exposed to test positive, and they're trying to stop the spread of the virus by quarantining and contact tracing and isolating the person who has been exposed to the virus the vast majority of the time these guys are not testing positive if they do and this is my this is my position in general if you're going first of all we shouldn't be treating positive cases like death sentences right no college kids by and large athletes or otherwise are having any issue with covid right we're testing these guys daily they're going to be fine if they have any issues they can get treatment whatever okay but if you are going to test positive cases as a as the standard that you're going to apply then what should happen is the people who test positive get pulled out but you don't need to contact trace at all because the vast majority of other people are not going to test positive if they do pull them too and here's the other thing here's the real kicker okay here's what uh, kicker that's going to blow your mind There has not been a single case in the world, in the entire world, of COVID spreading from one team to another team during competition in any sport in the world. Not one case. Soccer, football, basketball, baseball, whatever the sport is you play, there is not one case of COVID spreading from in-sport competition in the entire world. That's what Dr. Ave Allen Sills put out recently from the NFL, who was their medical expert. So who are we protecting, and what are we protecting them from? This is a house of cards. It's all absurd. When we come back, we will be joined by Frank Isola at the Frank Isola on Twitter. I'm fired up about all this. And you'll hear it from almost no one in the world of sports because most people are just accepting the status quo and what is being told to them. They are sheep as opposed to actually looking at the facts. Uh, When we come back, Frank Isola will join
1: us. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific.
3: you down, it's time to change that. Start your free online visit today at That's hims.com/2pros. That's h i m s.com/2pros for your personalized ED treatment options. hims.com/2pros. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate restrictions apply. See website for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. Sex
4: We're joined now by uh, Frank Isola at the Frank Isola on Twitter. You can watch him on ESPN. You can read him at The Athletic. Frank, what's up, my man? How are you?
0: Clay, what's going on, man? What's uh, the word? The Masters. You're excited?
4: Yeah, I am pretty excited about the Masters, although I totally anticipate that we're going to have a rain delay because it's 2020. But the Masters in the fall is, you know, you try to look for a uh, a benefit of our sports schedule, you know, being all, you know, distorted. And one thing is, I, I think there are a lot of people out there who've been like, "Oh, I, you know, I would like to know what the Masters course might look like in the fall. It's a beautiful time of year." And I'm not sure, hopefully, that we ever will have this a, and again happen in any of our lives. And so I'm pretty excited just to, you know, kind of flip on the television this morning and be able to watch the uh, watch the experience of what the Masters in the fall is like.
0: And if you think about it, when it goes off in April, you have the NBA going on, the NHL, you have baseball going on. And I understand this weekend you're going to have college football, but a lot of, a lot of games have been postponed this weekend. So it's, you know, I, I would think maybe the Masters, the ratings could be pretty good today, tomorrow. Saturday, on Sunday, I get it, they're going up against football. That's going to be a little bit tougher. But at least it gives us something to watch over the next two days. I'm kind of excited about it.
4: Yeah, I'm very excited about it. And uh, and, and as you mentioned, I mean, we've got a bunch of college football games that are either being canceled or postponed. And so uh, there is certainly, I think, a demand. Plus, I feel like golf is the ultimate veg out and relaxed sport to watch on television. I don't know about you, but the number of times I'll have golf on, especially, you know, Saturday afternoon, one of the majors or whatever. And fall or Sunday and fall asleep, you know, either in my bed watching it, you know, or on the couch watching it. It's kind of the ultimate dad move, but it's quiet. You know, you've got relatively muted sounds, even more so now without major crowds uh, present at all at these golf courses, and so it's it's kind of like soothing in many ways to watch as opposed to kind of the frenzy of many other sports.
0: Yeah, it, it really is, and especially like you know, we've had great weather up here in New York the last like couple of weeks. It's been you know it's Pouring rain today. I think the weather the next couple of days is going to be bad, so it it kind of lends itself to watching. And I'm I'm excited because I like the guy Deshambo. He brings like a different kind of attitude. It's you know he he talks a lot. He's kind of cocky. He's arrogant, and you know you, you have players have come at him. It's like subtle trash talk for golf, I guess it is. So at least you know without yeah I, Tiger Woods is in it. I don't know how well everyone expects him to do, but it's almost like Deshambo gives you something to really follow because he's been a great story, and the guy's coming off a U.S. Open way.
4: There's no doubt. We're talking to Frank Isola. Speaking of uh, of something to watch, which is not very enjoyable, uh, the state of New York uh, in particular when it comes to the NFL with the Giants and with the Jets. Let's start with the Jets. At this point, do you think that the Jets would just say, okay, we'll take 0-16 because we're willing, Jets fans and also the organization in general, we'll take 0-16 because we're that desperate to get Trevor Lawrence?
0: I, I, I think the fans definitely would, you know. When, when you look at what's gone on here the last few years, and you know, I don't believe the fans believe in Adam Gase, and you, want, you wonder about Sam Darnold. You know, I've always been of the belief. You look at a lot of the players. Look at the quarterbacks right now that are playing well. The young guys. You know, coaches say it all the time. You kind of come into the league great. And has Daniel Jones and Sam Darnold? Have they come into the league great? They've really struggled. So is it going to get that much better? So. You know, if Trevor Lawrence is hanging, you know, dangling out there, and if the Jets get to a point where they can get him, now listen, they're not going to be able to tank. It's hard to tank in football.
4: That's right. You know, the, There's too the many different moving parts. The players it, it, uh, it, don't want to tank because they got to put uh, film out there, even if uh, their team stinks. They want to be able to continue to make a career playing football. So, uh, but, tanking in basketball is a lot easier than tanking in football.
0: But the the Jet move would be they'd end up winning like their last two games in the season, and they'd somehow miss out on the first. On the uh, top overall pick, because Dallas, in theory, would still be in play. Yeah. But the way that they're going, which is which is really the more fascinating one, just because Dak Prescott is recovering. And let's face it, when a guy suffers a compound fracture like that, you'd like to believe he can come back and play, but it's still a huge question mark. And I keep saying I like Dak Prescott. I think you know in the NFL he's good enough to probably win a Super Bowl. He's not uh, Mahomes by any stretch of the imagination. Can he manage a game and win? Certainly can. But he is you know he is one and two in the playoffs, and if you go to that game last year against Philadelphia, which was essentially a play-in game for the playoffs, he did not play well. So he's had some big moments where he hasn't come through. So if, the, if you're the Cowboys, you kind of have to be thinking the same thing. Could we get one of these quarterbacks at the top of the draft?
4: You mentioned Mahomes. Are we underrating Patrick Mahomes because our standards for him are so insanely high? I went back and looked at his stats, and we were talking about this on Fox Bet Live, a television show the other day. He's got 25 touchdowns and one interception so far this year, Frank. I mean, I, I mean, they're eight and one. The uh, the, uh, the 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 you know the Chiefs are, but he's going to throw for over forty touchdowns, a, a couple of interceptions. I mean, these are video game numbers that he's posting, and he's already the defending Super Bowl champion. And yet, I feel like if anything, he's underrated.
0: You know, earlier this season they played the Chargers, and that game was on in New York, and I'm watching the game. And they were trailing late, so he had to drive them down the field. They, they ended up getting a game-tying field goal, and then they won the game in overtime. Now, listen, I understand, it was the Chargers, but you know when you give him, when he's in a situation where you know they're not going to punt, where they're going to go for it on four downs, I, I think it's one of the toughest things now in sports to do is to stop them on four downs when they're, when they're trying to drive down the field. Because he has the ability, he's so smart when it comes to running, that once he sees an opening, he'll decide to run but even when he's on the run, before he crosses the line of scrimmage, he's still looking downfield to pass the ball. He's so, it, It's amazing what this guy's been able to do. Like I said, I, every time they lose, the few times it happens when they lose, I'm shocked. because I just, I just think it's going to be so tough to beat them, especially when the playoffs roll around. I mean, barring injury, I mean, I know you've talked about it before. I remember you tweeted it out after the Super Bowl last year. You know, We could be seeing a guy that's going to win multiple Super Bowls, and as long as he stays healthy and Kansas City is smart and they keep a pretty solid team around him, I think they have a you know a solid head coach. There's no reason why this guy right now, when you're looking at him, why can't he win four, five, six Super Bowls?
1: Yeah,
4: look, I mean, he could be Brady. Uh, he could be the Brady of his generation. I don't think that's crazy at all. I don't know how long Andy Reid wants to coach, but certainly Andy Reid has been a very successful coach in the NFL for a long time, couldn't quite win the Super Bowl. Then he gets all of a sudden Tom Bra- uh, the Tom Brady of his era, and Andy Reid is going to look even smarter than he uh, than he has in most of his career where he's won a lot would, of games would, already.
0: Would you walk away? Would you walk away from Andy Reid? I mean, I th- <laughs> I, you no, think I wouldn't.
4: Can... I mean, assuming that, you know, you don't know what Andy Reid's personal life or health is or exactly. all those other things, right? But presuming that he is healthy and that his family is happy with what he's doing, I don't know why you would ever walk away. I mean, I think the one thing about Patrick Mahomes is, and we don't know this 100%, Brady is maniacally driven to continue to win even with tremendous success. Most people aren't like that, right? Most people aren't like Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, Tom Brady. When they have success, they tend to ease up a little bit, right? And so yeah. it is Tom it is Patrick Mahomes the same cut from the same cloth as those guys I just mentioned where dominance and success doesn't lead him to kind of start to take a little bit off and not drive himself as hard. That's the one thing we don't know because he's so young, and right now he doesn't have – I think he's about to have his first child, right, like his family situation, everything else. A lot of times in order to be dominant and be maniacally focused on that dominance, you give up being a well-rounded person, and I think we've seen that in a lot of different athlete lives where – they're so competitive and they're so driven to excellence that they don't have normal lives. We don't really know about Patrick Mahomes. I mean, that's the one thing. I mean, I think he's going to win multiple Super Bowls regardless. But is he going to go to nine? Is he going to have that maniacal focus of Tom Brady? I think that's one of the questions that's out there about him.
0: Yeah, and you just said it. That's what really separates you know, the great players from the legendary players. And Michael Jordan had it. Tom Brady has him. I think it would be about a guy... Like Patrick Mahomes, his dad played professional baseball, so he was around his father a lot, major league clubhouses. So when you're kind of around that environment, you, you definitely pick up things. I mean, look at Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, very similar to Patrick Mahomes. They grow up, you know, kids of privilege. They you know, yeah. they grow up as rich kids, and they have advantages that a lot of young kids don't have. So I, you know, they easily, even at a young age, could have kind of said, "Well, I don't know. that's I mean, right, that's a good point. Fun, but I, I have all this other stuff." that I could do but they were so driven at a young age and you look at Steph Curry Clay Thompson they're still incredibly driven I I think Mahomes has that same quality
4: yeah we're talking to Frank Isola last question for you the NFL now is potentially considering going to eight in the AFC eight in the NFC in terms of playoffs if they have to cancel any games do you think an NFL game will get canceled this season if you were setting the odds will we end up with 16 playoff teams
0: you know what? I still think the way things are going right now, you know, the fact that your roster is so big in the NFL, I, I, don't, think that they, I don't think that they will cancel any games. My, thing, my only thing about going to the you know, 16 teams, there was an advantage of finishing with the best record. Now no, you're no. not going to get a bye, right? Yep. It, it, and it used to be if you finish with the best record in your conference, all you have to do is win one home playoff game, and then you're hosting the conference championship. That's game. right. Because there was was always such huge incentive to finish. So that's why teams were always playing it out right to the bitter end. And the regular season is so meaningful in the NFL. But from a fan standpoint, I got no problem with 16 teams being in there. I think it'll be a lot of fun.
4: Amen. That's Frank Isola. Watch him on ESPN. Read him at The Athletic. Listen to him at SiriusXM.
1: Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at FoxSportsRadio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live.
4: Everybody out there who was excited for the Masters, well, they teed off, got a hole in, and now there's a rain delay that's going to last for the next several hours. So uh, you have... Ample time in your day if you already called in uh, to take off the day or if you're working from home and you were planning on sitting around and watching the Masters all day, which I would imagine is a lot of you, uh, you may not be able to do that until the afternoon. We do have a big NFL game, some college football. Maction was crazy last night. If you didn't see uh, the ending of the Western Michigan toledo game i fell asleep before it was over we had a fake spike touchdown uh but we've got a loaded final hour we are joined now by uh dr david chow at pro football doc as we typically are every single thursday he's at work getting ready for the return of the nfl dr chow appreciate you being up early with us especially on the west coast uh and we got a game tonight that's actually a pretty interesting one in thursday night football i'm gonna go watch it in person Colts uh, on the road against the Titans, battle for the AFC South crown. Where are we from an injury perspective from these two teams?
5: You know, really, these are two of the more healthier teams, and it's good for both sides. You know, for the uh, Colts, what they have going for them is their entire offensive line is healthy, and T.Y. Hilton is back. And on defense, you know, Malik Hooker has obviously been out all year. For the Titans, their left tackle's out with an ACL. Adam Humphries won't clear the concussion protocol and Jadavian Clowney on defense will play but not necessarily be 100% with his meniscus tear.
4: So uh, overall health-wise would you assess the Colts or the Titans to be in better health related conditions or is health likely to be very substantial of a factor here?
5: Well, you know, this isn't one of the more glaring games of health inequities, but uh, the Colts are slightly healthier than the Titans, if you look at it overall.
4: Good deal. Uh, Where else are we looking at major health-related concerns as we move into the weekend?
5: Well, you know, the uh, 49ers have taken over the mantle as the most injured team in the league, and everyone focuses on their fantasy players on offense. Jimmy G, Kittle, et cetera, Debo Samuel, the running backs. But the reality is their defense has been been banged up for quite a while. They've got four defensive linemen on injured reserve that would make a great starting front four for any team, from Nick Bosa to D. Ford to Ezekiel Ansah to uh, Solomon Thomas. And so they're banged up more than the Eagles. The Eagles – have had the mantle of the most banged-up team, but they're actually headed in the right direction coming off the bye. Alshon Jeffrey will actually make his season debut finally. Miles Sanders, I believe, will be good to go from his knee sprain from a couple weeks ago. And Lane Johnson, I think, will actually finish a game this week at right tackle. So uh, the Eagles are actually headed in the right direction.
1: What do
4: we need to know about the Ben Roethlisberger's of the world that are being contact traced in some way? How is the NFL applying the rule in situations such as Roethlisberger? We tend to pay more attention to it when it involves a quarterback, but what exactly is going on here?
5: Well, I actually defined all the rules and the and the and the definitions for all the terms: close contact, high risk asymptomatic positive, symptomatic positive, et cetera, at OutKick on the ProFootballDoc podcast. And close contacts can return to practice and contact with the team basically the next day immediately. They're just put on hold for an investigation. If you're determined to be high-risk, that requires a mandatory five-day quarantining. But it's five days from your high-risk contact not five days from the media reporting that you're on the list. And so this is why, and, and part of that hasn't been fully defined, but Dr. Sills of the NFL, who's done a good job, has said that part of it is if you're within six feet of someone and not wearing a mask, if you're within six feet, I think you become close contact with it for 15 minutes. But if you're not wearing a mask, within six feet, that's when you become high risk. And if you notice on the sidelines, a lot more players are wearing masks to try and avoid that high risk designation. And also the sidelines used to be from the 32 to the 32. And now it's from the 20 to the 20. So they've widened the sidelines and and understood that to date in all of documented professional sports, not just football, not just college football, there has yet to be in professional leagues anyways, rugby, soccer, across the world, of a cross-team transmission, in other words, to an opponent on the playing field. That hasn't been documented. I'm not saying it's impossible. It just hasn't been documented yet. And so Big Ben, getting back to it, this COVID high-risk designation – actually doesn't affect him at all because he wasn't going to practice this entire week anyways with his left knee MCL sprain. He was going to play, and it's the same with this COVID in this case. He's not going to practice, and he's going to play with that knee issue. So even though the line uh, opened it's dealers 10, and with Big Ben's injury news went to 7, 6, right now FanDuel 6.5, that line's going to go back up once it's determined that he's good to go for Sunday.
4: It's uh, first of all, I want to give you a lot of props here because what you just said I think is a is a big deal. Dr. Sills, who is the NFL's chief medical examiner, didn't just say there hasn't been a single case of cross-team transmission in uh, in, you know, football play. He said in any sport in the world that they have been able to prove That one guy who was infected on one team got somebody on the opposing team sick during the course of a game, right? That's a pretty significant factor. And you, months ago, said that you thought it was likely based on the analogy that you used, which I thought was a good one, a lot of people understood it was used your sunburn analogy right that that mere exposure and you said the same thing when that picture went viral of stefan gilmore talking to patrick mahomes and everybody was like oh my god you know we got a major issue here those are transitory limited contacts so the amount of viral load as i believe you put it that was likely to be distributed in those interactions was low making the risk of infection low it takes sustained exposure in order typically to have an infection pass.
5: That, that's correct. And, and that viral load article was actually, I think, the, one of the first articles I wrote for uh, OutKick, and yeah. it was well before the football season. And the analogy, and it, it's simply this, one coronavirus is not going to give you COVID. It takes hundreds, if not thousands, one strong ray of the sun is not going to get you sunburned, and I'm not trying to equate being sunburned with getting COVID. Understood. But you get the analogy of uh, exposure exposed Exposure to now, your I'm point, like suggesting- if you walk
4: out to the beach, everybody, most people listening to us right now, have been to the beach or they've been to a lake somewhere where you're out in the sun. If you're out in the sun for five minutes, unless you're super, super susceptible to sunburn you're probably not going to get sunburned. If you're out for five hours and you don't do anything, you may well get sunburned, right? Everybody's a little bit different, but the exposure to sunlight impacts whether or not you're impacted by that sunlight, much like the exposure to the virus, the length of time that you're exposed impacts the likelihood that you could be infected as well.
5: No question. And, you know, is it high noon and the sun is strong and you're near the equator? Or is it 5 p.m. at night and uh, the sun's down low? Are you next to someone who's coughing, sneezing and and spewing hundreds, if not thousands of coronavirus in every breath uh, and yelling and and singing? Or are you next to someone who's asymptomatic and, and speaking quietly? So all those things matter. And to clarify, I'm not suggesting that you go out and hug someone with coronavirus like Patrick Mahomes inadvertently did. And I'm not saying it is impossible to transmit COVID uh, through sports play. What Dr. Sill said was what my information is. You know, last week or the week before, SI wrote an article saying that in college football, the medical experts have yet to docu- document across the, the, the line of scrimmage transmission. In pro sports that the NFL has been in contact with, World Rugby Leagues, Soccer Leagues, Australia, you know, Aussie Rules, etc. In those sports situations that they have surveyed, they haven't seen it. I'm not saying, you know, you couldn't have a wrestling match and and not, and not transmit COVID or anything like that. I'm just saying so far in those sports, in those professional examples, we haven't had a documented case yet.
4: We're talking to Dr. David Chow. Now, I know you focus a lot on the NFL with us and with your articles at OutKick and at your own website for sure in terms of health, but when you look at some of these situations in college football where, for instance, in Berkeley, they're not being allowed to play because of one positive test and they may lose a second straight game with Arizona State. Uh, We've got games being canceled, Maryland and Ohio State, several in the SEC. Do you think that the way that college football in particular is responding to COVID, do their policies make sense?
5: Well, the problem is it's not centralized, so they don't always make sense. And I can point out some examples. First of all, in medicine, I'm never a fan of being rigid always this if this diagnosis, right? So always 14 days if you test positive. Whether there's false positive, there's asymptomatic. The NFL lets people come back at five days for high risk, 10 days even if you test positive. There shouldn't necessarily be rigid rules. But on the other hand, sometimes there's too much freedom. I'd be very curious if you would ask the commissioner, with all due respect, You know, everyone made a huge deal last weekend about Notre Dame fans storming the field. Right. No question that wasn't ideal. All right. But, you know, and you can make the argument, what are these kids going to do that Saturday night anyways? And it'll be indoors at a party. But look, that's not ideal. And you shouldn't have that. But I think the bigger question that I had was, why was Trevor Lawrence quarantined and not able to play and allowed to travel with the team and be on the sidelines? Albeit with a mask, okay. But as we talk about, at the game is less dangerous than on the sidelines in the locker room. Right. Like I pointed out the Saints dancing in that small Tampa Bay locker room, and I wasn't criticizing the dancing. I was just saying, look at the background, look at how close everyone is in the locker room. That's where the danger is. Buses, flights, etc. So my question, but the bigger faux pas of me, or question mark, is why Trevor Lawrence was allowed to travel. Uh, yes, it wasn't great that there were all those Notre Dame fans on the field. But there's to me, there's two parts to that.
4: There's a lot of illogic, right, when you actually break down many of these decisions that are being made. They don't rationally line up. And Trevor Lawrence is a great example. Now, uh, the ACC said, well, he still has to wait to get some sort of heart condition test to be completely cleared. But to your point, he's on the road. He's on an airplane. He's at the team meals. He's on the sideline. He's interacting with his teammates. If he's not infectious anymore, how in the world can he be in a position? And here's the last question for you. Uh, It seems like, and and I don't know if you've paid a lot of attention to this, but in college football, and I'm going to ask the commissioner about this, when someone tests positive, they can come back and play within 10 days once they have three negative tests, I believe. And so you might only miss 10 days if you test positive. But if you are a close contact in college football, you have to quarantine for 14 days. So it seems illogical to me that the person who is actually testing positive for the virus is able to be back playing before the person who has merely been exposed to the virus.
5: Uh, no question. And, and you know, I wasn't implying that Greg Sankey did anything wrong. No, with no, no. Yeah, so I'm yeah, just I saying he, he knows he knows college football, right? And so uh, that's kind of the where the question was. And that's an interesting point. And medically, I think the justification, not saying that I agree with it completely, is that if you have a close contact, it could be three or five days before you turn positive. There's delays to turning positive. And then you add the 10 days to that. And how do we get to to 14 days or two weeks? I mean, I'm not sure, right? That's just the calendar, the way that it works. So yeah, there's a lot that we don't know. And there are a lot of different uh, inconsistencies in terms of what's out there, because it is a novel situation. And with so many different Uh, conferences and governing bodies and schools with different policies. It's obviously uh, makes it uh, interesting to watch and there are contradictions.
4: Dr. Chow, appreciate it, my man. Appreciate you being flexible with us. We'll talk to you next week.
1: Thank you. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific.
3: Trust of 40% repeat customers. They give you the tools you need to save and grow your money with reliable returns and take charge of your financial future. It's a better way to invest because it's investing your way. So change the game. Get started today with as little as a thousand dollars at GameBridge.io.
4: As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds,
3: it was shocking.
4: I have to know what were they thinking? Joined now by Commissioner of the Southeastern Conference, Greg Sankey. I think he's already got his jog in for the morning. And right off the top, I want to apologize for creating all of this uh, drama in your conference by asking how things looked in the wake of ta- uh, Halloween last week. I thought, hey, things seem like they're going pretty good. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, like, uh, like it can always happen, you had some positives emerge uh, this week. Do you attribute that to Halloween-related concerns? Have you been able to figure out exactly why suddenly there were a few positives that, uh, that hadn't been showing up so far?
2: I appreciate you owning that reality. Yes. We'll get that that one right out of the way. Um, I don't think you can can just boil it down um, when you have a set of different teams involved to one particular event, certainly. Uh, In college communities, on college campuses around Halloween, there are activities that might result in some positive testing, but uh, there's likely... Several factors. The the biggest issue from a number standpoint, though, is the contact tracing outcomes, yeah. where a very few number of tests, and I think that has to be communicated. It's not an outbreak. We we saw that on one of our teams in October. This is a, a different reality. There are positive tests, but then there's contact tracing, which requires people to be you know on the sideline, and and that makes it. Uh, uh, a real situation It's it, you can't just overcome that I think is probably the way to describe the circumstance
4: yeah so I want to dive into that a little bit uh, Jimbo Fisher came out and said that Texas A&M had two positives there have been reports that Missouri had one positive the Missouri Georgia game and the Tennessee Texas A&M game both postponed as a result That would suggest that contact tracing, at least in those two situations, is actually what's at play here, not positive tests. And we talked about this to start the show, so for people out there who are just waking up, is the contact tracing protocol that is currently being applied the right one, or is it leading to situations where one or two positive tests can have way more of an impact than maybe they should in the larger health context?
2: There are a few elements. If you go right to the end of that statement, th- there is a significant significant ripple effect that's tied to contact tracing. Or one, uh, what, what if in certain circumstances, one or two positive tests have a much greater ripple effect? That's not universal, and in fact, what has happened around contact tracing is a reminder of the constant need to adjust. You know, when I go to work, I wear a tracking device, and I know if I'm within six feet of someone. Flashes red. We've supplied those to campuses. The use of those devices as a reminder helps avoid issues. Fundamentally, though, there's more than just COVID happening around us. You know, you go back to the summertime, a decision was made to allow young people to opt out if they weren't comfortable competing. Well, so you have roster reduction from scholarship players. You get into the season um, and you have injuries. Uh, That may happen. You may have suspensions on a team that are uh, the kind that would be there in any year. So you've got this attrition and then you add to it uh, COVID related issues and and that creates the problem. So I think we we have to understand there's a lot happening within a season. Um, And in this season, we've introduced COVID where, excuse me, all of that attrition, opt outs, transfers may have occurred in, in previous years, in fact, did. It just didn't have you know, COVID tests and contact tracing on, added on top.
4: We're talking to SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey. We're now into mid-November. A lot of people out there said there's no way college football could be played this fall. I know you're not happy with the games being postponed this weekend, but how would you assess how the season has gone so far to this point from the perspective of the Southeastern Conference?
2: You know, overall, with what we're dealing with, it's gone from my perspective very well. We we started, I think we were the only conference to begin the first week of play uninterrupted. Uh, probably, probably some of you people can fact check me on that. We did that for three consecutive weeks, and then we had some disruption, but we had prepared with mid season by weeks that we might have to accommodate uh, that type of disruption. That was Vanderbilt in Florida, so we made it through that. And now we're coming into this stretch of four weeks leading us to to the end of the season uh, with the plan that we had more opportunities to accommodate some disruption. So never inattentive to reality. It's just not an infinite amount. There's not an infinite volume of makeup dates. So now we're squeezed a little bit more. What we have to do is get back on track from a health standpoint, be hyper attentive for four weeks. Uh, The the level of self-discipline has to, re-engage and increase and you know we can go back to the success we experienced early on but we we, you know we have to adjust uh we're going to have to be a little bit patient and even more focused
4: do you worry about team discipline on teams that don't have a chance to win championships now because that happens every year you know a team comes out with a lot of expectations september you're like oh this is going to be our year we're going to win the division we're going to win the conference. And then as the season progresses, that reality doesn't become the case. Certainly for Alabama, Texas A&M, Florida, they really are still in the center of the SEC and the national championship race. But there are other teams that aren't. Have you had that conversation with coaches about the need to kind of reinforce uh, discipline on teams that aren't winning as much?
5: Well, it's re- I use the word focus.
2: So I think we're, we're talking about the same thing. And And I have. Not with every coach. Some have called me. Uh, about it and and just identifying the concern. Um, Part of those conversations will become a focus on, well, what were you trying to achieve at the beginning of the year? Was it the national championship? Uh, Was that really reasonable? Or was it uh, success against the toughest conference schedule you're going to ever encounter playing 10 SEC games? Uh, Was it the development of your program from where it was last year? We have four new coaches. Uh, going through transition. Uh, You you then have to look at opportunities for future development that are presented. And and so sometimes you just have to reframe uh, the vision that may have been there. Always be careful about the vision up front and and it has to be reframed. And that's part of the focus or discipline. I I, I do have that concern just to respond directly to the word. Um, And it's discipline in this environment uh, for four more weeks, five more weeks is what we're asking teams um to to have a, an experience that, that that we were told they wanted in fact our student athletes were passionate about it you know let's meet our own expectations finish this season well uh, name a champion and move forward get through this thing and, and hopefully come back to something more normal for 2021
4: How do you become aware of the testing results? I'm just kind of curious on the process. Do you get them every morning? Do you get them every afternoon? And what's that process like for you? Is it via email? Are you tearing open an envelope uh, to find out how things are going? What's the process by which a commissioner would be notified about testing?
2: We do three rounds of tests in football each week, uh, Sunday, Tuesday, thursday and those results will come in either that evening or certainly the next morning so i've described friday mornings as my hold your breath moment uh to see you know that we're able to play on on saturday but the reality is each of those moments can create disruption um we have a staff member who receives reports from directly from lab results we have a third party uh, partner working with us a company called pae uh that's a logistics company that that coordinates the testing on campus, the gathering of, of the swabs, sending them to, to laboratories where they have contracts, that process is properly overseen and then the, the results of those are, are available online. I have a staff member, so I was tested yesterday, I go through it on Wednesday, our staff who works on game day in our building all have to be tested to enter the building. Um, and so I'll go to him about noon today and say, hey, what's, what, what's my result? And that's, you know, that plays out hundreds and hundreds of times on, on that t- on that Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday cadence.
4: We're talking to SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey. When do you anticipate, I my guess would be after you get the Thursday results and find out what games are going to be able to be played on Saturday, but when do you anticipate putting together a schedule to adjust for the games that had to be postponed this week?
2: Our staff has been working on that that task since Monday, but you you hit the issue, which is you cannot produce an alternate approach if you're going to have more disruption. It just wasted your time. So you have to go back. I think three or four Fridays ago, we announced five or six game adjustments around the Vanderbilt and Florida situation. That happened on Friday evening. Right now, I don't anticipate those adjustments for the 21st. Still could happen if we find a better way because we have a full slate of games. And all we have to do now, is play games. Uh, that will help us make decisions about where do you adjust games so you can determine a championship matchup or, or have that determined on the field in advance of the 19th. Uh, I think we're going to allow games to be played on the 19th, but those games obviously can't be directly tied to the championship game. So, Clay, that, that, that prediction of exact timing is a bit in flux. We need games to be played, so you have to get through Friday testing, make sure games are played on Saturday. And then those results have meaning as as teams are either still in the championship hunt or fall out, and that's uh, the analysis taking place in the development of
4: different models right now. We're talking to SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey. Is there then, I would think, a precedence being put upon in-division games as opposed to out-of-division games? because that would allow you to at least be even more certain who wins the SEC West and who wins the SEC East. Is that a fair assumption?
2: Not right now. It it kind of floats out there, uh, still focused on the reality that all of our teams can play the 10 games, um, so they can play their division and their their cross-divisional games. Um, And depending on how uh, results play out, uh, we view that the, the full schedule for those teams can still be used, with again some of those non—excuse uh, me—some of those games not tied to teams that will be in the championship game being able to be played on the 19th. So we're not to that that slimming point yet, if you
4: will. When you look at uh, at how many games have to be played, right? I mean, this has been a question from the get go, and obviously the hope was play all 10 conference games. Certainly in the Big Ten, I'm sure you saw, Maryland-Ohio State has been canceled. So at most, Ohio State would play seven uh, conference games and then potentially a conference championship game on top of that. Is there to you any number that you need to be able to get to? Usually you would play eight conference games. This year you're playing ten. Is there a number you need to be able to get to to feel like you can crown a champion in a legitimate fashion?
2: We uh, have a, a tiebreaker uh, element that's been adapted to actually provide flexibility based on circumstances. Um, and, Clay, that's like four pages, and I read it several weeks in a row and didn't read it this week. So you'll yes. forgive me for not for – not, we haven't set a threshold. So I've read others that said you have to play six. Uh, well, we're going to be there um, as a league. In fact, we'll have teams move into the seven. Uh, range this weekend, um, and I think we can move on. It's kind of a, a decision of within the average number of games completed. So if a team's uh, if our average number ends up being ten, then you have to play at least nine. And so there's a little bit of flux that's allowed, again based on circumstances. But we, we still want to see ten games played. Well, uh, I thought my clever James Bond reference, shaken but not deterred, was a was a reference. <laughs> to, uh, you know, you take a body blow and then you come back and, and you reconfigure. Uh, that's meant to say, oh, sure, you, you react to this with not the, maybe the, the smile on your face, but with a recognition that we're still going to focus on, on finishing a season that we had planned.
4: Uh, do you prefer shaken and stirred drinks as well, maybe more so this year than ever?
2: <laughs> I've, never, I've never entertained that particular range of the alcoholic <laughs> beverage spectrum. Talking, Guinness is about the limit.
4: We're talking to SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey. Uh, college football playoff. a lot of people asking already you got your SEC championship game set on December 19th. The college football playoff selection committee in theory would announce the four playoff teams on December twentieth. And I know you've addressed this a little bit, but it's the question I'm getting the most by far from fans. How set in stone in your mind are those conference title games on December 19th and the selection of the college football playoff teams on December
2: 20th? The, the 19th is a championship date remains my focus because when you get later, in fact the 19th is even a little bit more complex than before. You know the NFL plays on Saturday. There's a lot more going on. right. Like the NBA scheduled to start the 22nd. Um, the ability to move teams move games is not unlimited it's not easy um, I don't uh, yesterday in a, in a conference call with the media you know artificial dates artificial construct reviews now these are just the dates we picked um, could if needed some adjustment be made uh, probably but it's not easy uh, it's not easy at all so don't don't underestimate the weight someone else asked, so I'll jump into this one why don't you just go ahead and expand the playoff you know, as we know, playing more games make it, makes it less likely you'll play all games. Um, that's part of why we slimmed our, our season. And so the notion of expanding and moving teams around actually uh, reduces the likelihood of successfully completing a playoff. And, and uh, there was a time where I thought, hey, maybe we do this on a temporary basis, but I'm, I'm convinced that having a four-team playoff, I think the timing can still work it needs to adjust we all have to be open to that flexibility uh, but for me I'm focused on crowning a champion on December 19th and if we have to adjust we will but I could tell you it's surely nice be nice to have you know the December 20th or some level of Christmas shopping in my world
4: <laughs> well also because if you move the title game to December 26th for instance uh, you would end up in a situation where you're holding those guys through Christmas right I mean which is right. you know for the two championship teams a little bit different than maybe holding through Thanksgiving, which is typical in the case of a college football season. And how would that process take place? Does everybody have to agree? I mean, is that a, is that a joint vote? I mean, how, how does that process – you probably don't even know because I can't imagine you've ever even had to confront a situation like that.
2: Right. I, and I would just project what we do, we do together collectively yes. as, uh, as conferences. I think there would be a lot we also have bowl games for us that would start september 20th or excuse me december 26th and yes. some could say well those aren't those aren't that important but you know what on our football student athlete calls during the summer will be will we be able to play in bowl games was the question my answer was was yes well how many i said well i want our full range and so our student athletes expectation as it began was to have an opportunity and that would be the only intra conference play of this football season at a high level, um, so there are a lot of factors. Uh, you know, television's a piece of that puzzle uh, from from anyone's perspective. Again, you're you're in a season where you're probably more the expert than I. But the NFL moves games into Saturday windows after the traditional college football dates enter. They're going to begin their playoffs um, in January. Uh, you, you got a presidential inauguration. Uh, but January twentieth. I don't know what changes after, uh, so I think we've got to be focused on the effort to complete the season. And I think the way it's set up allows us to use the current schedule. Again, flexibility is a word that has to be on our mind. But let's focus on on playing it forward as we've as we've planned and then adjusted at present.
4: We're talking to SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey. You made a comment that I thought was interesting. Uh, people say oh, well, people on Twitter are saying X or Y or Z. How much, how much difficulty is there? I know all the time there's a lot of noise, but in particular in this year, how much just do you feel like you're constantly overwhelmed with noise? You know, try, I think we talked about this before, trying to fi- figure out the important things as opposed to just the constant cacophony and what does Twitter and social media represent for you guys?
2: yeah i'll have a weekly report on on social media activity i have a public relations firm that prepares that so you can look at the trends i'm I'm not one who dives in i I will confess to looking from time to time we probably all do Uh, i'm certain that someone's presented on twitter in the last 48 hours the perfect scheduling approach but that's not the basis i think that's where my my comment came from. As it relates to to noise, I'll I'll use the word volume. So I I consider uh, social media, the outside factors to be noise, and I've become fairly effective at blocking those elements out. But the volume of what we're presented with is beyond what we've experienced. And, And I think anybody that's worked in college sports and probably professional sports would say that. You know, when we were going through the month of September leading up to the 26th, I looked at one of my staff and I said, we're not doing anything to prepare for football season that we did last year. All of those things have to be in place. Everything we were doing leading into the season was COVID-related. And, you know, just think about that. You've added a whole other level of complexity to what you try to do on a normal basis, which is hard enough. We're now um, – 13 days away from the start of a basketball season. We have swimming taking place, soccer tournament going on, volleyball being played right now. Uh, We finished golf and tennis um, through the fall. Uh, There's a lot that happens in college athletics. One of the pro league commissioners I once looked at, and we were talking, I said, man, I'd love to just have one sport. That'd be an easy gig. Uh, But all, all of that, play is kind of the volume. And I have to give credit to our staff in, in the SEC office for how many of them have stepped up to a whole different level of engagement. My last phone call uh, last evening with a staff member was 10.30, followed by an 11 p.m. email to try to clear some things up heading into today. So it's not been normal. Uh, there is noise. We, we have to shut that out. We know it's there. It's really the volume of what's happening now is just... Uh, beyond what was already a full-time job in every other year.
4: Greg Sankey, SEC Commissioner, good luck with those last results. Hopefully we'll get some more games in and look forward to seeing who the champ is.
1: Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Oh,
0: oh, oh, O'Reilly